What is it about the Canadian government that doesn't take threats to national security seriously? Hi, this is Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Russell, Ontario, Canada. You're listening to Quick Hits, short podcasts about national security. The other day, Saturday, uh, February the 25th, I had a fascinating tour of the Canadian War Museum led by Dr. Andrew Birch. It's a, these tours are offered to members of the museum as a kind of a, a kind of a thank you and a way to learn more about Canada's military history. And this particular tour was about the Cold War and Canada's role therein. A lot of it I kind of knew. I learned certainly a lot of things I didn't know. Um, as an aside, my career in intelligence began during the Cold War. I was first employed by Communication Security Establishment, CSE, Canada Signals Intelligence Organization, way back in 1983. During the Cold War, we didn't know it was the, all, the waning years of the Cold War at the time, but it certainly defined Canada Signals Intelligence priorities at the time, the Soviet Union, its allies, what they were up to. And there's a part of the museum, uh, which Dr. Birch highlighted, that really pointed to Canada's role in perhaps the beginning of the Cold War. This is the so-called Guzenko Affair, when on the 5th of September 1945, Igor Guzenko, who was a cipher clerk at the Soviet Embassy in Ottawa, walked out with a whole bunch of documentation and he tried to get help. He tried to pass this information on to the Minister of Justice, the Ottawa Journal, various courts, and no one took him seriously. The documents established quite convincingly that there was a serious, widespread Soviet espionage effort in Canada, a network where they would spy on Canada, steal our secrets, etc., etc., and the feeling at the time, this is just after the war, right? This is September of 45. The war's been only been over for a month. Second World War, that is. And we thought the USSR under Stalin was still our ally. And as a consequence, people were reluctant to accept that, in fact, yeah, the Soviets were spying on us. Uh, interesting sidelight to this story is that uh, Guzenko, his wife, was pregnant and they realized this was a very serious move they were taking. And so they didn't go back to their apartment. They hid in a neighbor's apartment the following day. And that was a good thing because a bunch of goons from the Soviet embassy ransacked their apartment, broke the door down, seeking to find Guzenko because they realized he wasn't there and he hadn't reported for work. And if, in fact, he had been captured, he would have been sent back to the Soviet Union and probably sent to a gulag, probably sent to a labor camp or, in fact, killed so the move by his wife and, and him to not go back to their apartment was a good thing. Long story short is that eventually the RCMP uh, took Gazenko and his family into protective custody. And this uh, disclosure that the Soviets were, in fact, spying on us in the West is, again, credited by some as being kind of the first volley in the Cold War, which, of course, lasted from 1945 until 1990. 1991, almost half a century. The interesting part of this story, of course, is that the Canadian government didn't take him seriously at first. Interestingly, a couple of years ago, a commemorative plaque 
is has been established in a park right across the street where the apartment is. The apartment's still there. It's near the corner of Lyon and Somerset Streets in Ottawa, right in the downtown core. The question you have to ask is, well, why didn't they take him seriously? Now, language may have been an issue. His English probably wasn't very fluent at the time. Guzenko, by the way, did end up dying in Canada uh, many decades later. He, he never left, went back to the Soviet Union for obvious reasons. And he died, I believe, in 1982, if memory serves me correct. So his, uh, his disclosures uh, were huge. And they defined international politics for the better part of 45 years. But again, getting back to the question, why wasn't this a bigger affair at the time? Why didn't the government seize what it had to try and figure things out? To me, this is indicative of a greater problem we have here in Canada. And I've talked about it quite a bit on the podcast in the past. And that is our our lack of an intelligence culture and a lack of appreciation for what intelligence can in fact do for you. Now, this wasn't Canadian intelligence. This was a, a, a guy that, you know, was with the Soviet Union who provided us with information. But nevertheless... It did show a naivete, a, failed, a failure to understand the importance of, of what was being alleged. And of course, the, raise, the reason I raise this today is we're dealing with something very similar. Not to do with the Soviet Union, because of course there is no more Soviet Union, or its uh, descendant, if I can use that term, Russia, but the People's Republic of China. Now, you'd have to be living under a rock to not have learned over the past couple of weeks that there have been some explosive allegations about Chinese interference in Canadian elections back in 2019 and 2021, elections which which returned the Trudeau government to a liberal status within Parliament, that the Chinese embassy and various consulates here in Canada wanted to see a liberal minority government return because they felt that was best for China's interest, not for Canada's interest, for China's. And they influenced candidates, they had some money go around, they got people to vote in certain ridings, and all this has been disclosed in a leaked CSIS report to the Globe and Mail, one of Canada's major newspapers, to Robert Fife and uh, Stephen Chase. And the CSIS report is pretty damning about the extent of Chinese interference in our elections. For the record, CSIS has the mandate to explore foreign interference under Section 2B of the CSIS Act, which gives the organization its marching orders, if you will. What has been most curious, of course, has been the response of the Trudeau government. And to sum it up, I would say it's, there's nothing to see here, folks. Move along. The Trudeau government has denied that it was briefed on Chinese espionage, which is false. It has said categorically that the interference did not affect the election, election results. As to My question is, well, how do you know that? How do you know why people voted the way they did? And instead of being more firm on uh, condemning China's moves, the Prime Minister himself has pointed the finger at CSIS and asked them to tighten up their security procedures. Why was this report leaked? How do you allow one of your employees to pass a very sensitive document to reporters? In actual fact, we don't know how who the source of the information was. It, couldn't have, it could have been CSIS. It could have been somebody who received the CSIS report. Uh, not surprisingly, Mr. Chase and, and Mr. York are not... Um, divulging their sources like good intelligence agencies no one you don't divulge your sources because that's too sensitive now mr trudeau the prime minister claims that the report has inaccuracies 
Again, uh, what are those inaccuracies, sir? And how do you know they are inaccurate? Do you have your own sources of information? The bottom line is that this is just one more episode in a very long litany dating way back to the beginning of the Cold War of Canadian governments refusing to take intelligence seriously. The reasons for that can only be answered by them. I, I, I could speculate. They don't like the message. It's inconvenient. It's embarrassing. It points fingers at officials that acted inappropriately. Uh, it points to a lack of concern over threats to our national security and public safety. And the list could go on and on and on. I'm not going to get all conspiracy theorists on you here. But it is damning that the, the Trudeau government is not paying more attention to what these, this CSIS report is saying, the extent of the interference in our free and fair elections in a democracy by a communist autocratic state to further its interests. The government has already said they will not launch a public inquiry into this matter. That may change as the pressure builds. The story's not going away. I had a great chat with Sam Cooper, who is a journalist with Global uh, in Canada, and he's been following this story for years. Uh, former director of CSIS, Dick Fadden, under whom I worked in the 2000s, has said something has to be done about this. We may see some action on this, and I sincerely hope so. But whether or not this is a lesson to be learned about ignoring intelligence, I wish I were more confident in that regard. I've seen far too many instances where intelligence has been ignored. Maybe it'll change, maybe it won't. Anyhow, that's what I think. What do you think about the Canadian government and its failure to appreciate intelligence? Should it do a better job of that? Love to hear your feedback. You can reach me on email, borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at borealisaves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like the content, want to get more of it, go to my website, borealisthreatenedrisk.com. Hit the subscribe button. You'll get free access to all the podcasts and blogs. I also want to remind you that my latest book, The Peaceable Kingdom, A History of Terrorism in Canada from Confederation to the Present, is now available thanks to Double Dagger Books in Toronto. You can get it off Amazon. And then I'll be launching the book on at Perfect Books on Elgin Street in Ottawa at 6.30 p.m., 18.30, on the 22nd of March. Love to hear your feedback, ideas for other podcasts. We'll talk again soon. Until then, take care.